prayer. And, and I just kind of cloistered up in my suburban home. I'm not making fun of suburban homes. I'm just saying if we cloister up and say, oh, the world's dirty, naughty, bad, and I'm going to get involved. That is not the hospitality of God. That is not the character of God. And as the people of God, we're supposed to reveal his character. So this blows away this typical way we understand the American gospel, that we believe all the right things, and so that we, something good happens to us when we die. We are caught up in the love and the generosity of a God who threw open his arms to us. And that should compel some sort of a practice on our part to try it in real time. Jesus says that it doesn't matter what you believe if you're looking out for, if you're not looking out for the other. It really doesn't. Again, we're conditioned, guys, we're conditioned to look out for our own needs. We're conditioned. It's a human thing. And we're conditioned to look out for our own needs and our need of, the needs of our loved ones, and that's not a bad thing. That's a normal thing. I would encourage you to keep doing that, especially the needs of your loved ones. But there's nothing distinctly kingdom about that. There's nothing distinctly kingdom. We should show that we are children of a distinct father, a distinct God, a distinct king. And that's part of what this life invites us into. The second passage is Luke chapter 10. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. You've heard this before. I'm going to read it. I'm going to give you three really quick brief kind of insights, and then we'll land the plane. Parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is having a conversation with a group of Pharisees. And then it starts in verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus. So a very, a very uh, religious man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor. Jesus replies, a man, who was going to, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place where he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring, in oil, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him, in, or brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told them, go and do likewise. Now, there's so much to this story. I'm not going to get into all the things, who a priest was, who a Levite was. But you need to know that throughout history, there's something um, really interesting that happens to us uh, when we read the Bible. Uh, sometimes 
there's something in the Bible that we don't want to obey, we tend to make it complicated and dismiss it. It's, it's just a natural human thing. <laughs> um, the first insight I have in this is that the question, that this whole discussion is based on the question, who is my neighbor? That Jesus tells a story to answer a question, who is my neighbor? And the essence of the story is this law expert, how can I get out of going out of my way for people that make me uncomfortable? And Jesus' response in the story is not, well, his response stops uh, from immediately implying that, that this isn't about identifying the man's neighbor. It's about challenging this guy to be a good neighbor. He's not saying there's an in and an out. He's basically, there's no them. Let's concentrate on who you are and who you're becoming. The second insight is that the hero of the story is a Samaritan, which is so scandalous. And we can get into all the, how that could play into today and, and what that's more of a metaphor for us. But just trust me, um, the bad guys were portrayed as the priest and the Levite, which was like so scandalous. <laughs> and that the good guy was the Samaritan, was just crazy. I mean, Samaritans were the bad guys to the Jews, and the Jews' rock star look up to, I want to be like, are the priests and the Levites. And so the point of this parable is that Jesus is illustrating, it is, it's for us to be neighbors to all without consideration of nationality, without consideration of race or gender or politics, or if the person could potentially take advantage of us, or if the person that I'm helping will, will end up doing anything good with my help. It's, it's, it, Jesus takes all that off the table. And in the kingdom of God, there's no hierarchy, there's no Samaritan or Jew, there's no us versus them, there's only those who have received Jesus' hospitality and how they extend it in love of other. That's it. And so the third insight is this. In the first century, people did just not go, they just didn't go for leisurely walks. The, comp, the, the implication behind this story is this man's on a journey. He was going from Jericho to Jerusalem. There's geography involved. There's robbers along the road. There's all this thing going on. You wouldn't do that just for like, hey, let's go for a walk. And, which means that all the people passing by him were not just out for a walk either. They had lives. They had places they wanted to get to. They had things on their mind. The Samaritan has a life. He's got things he's trying to do. He's busy. And he stops. And, and I think that that's really important for us. He made space. So the questions for us today are what stops us? What blocks our efforts in hospitality? Well, I think there's two things. The first one is we have grids. <laughs> Just being honest, we have judgmental grids. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> we have judgmental grids. You've heard a lot of mine. I've got those little small ones that are like country music and, you know, stuff like that. Like, I, we have judgmental grids. We have judgmental grids that uh, we don't want people to know about. We just have things in us. We have fears. We have fears of others. Jesus tore down those walls in every single conversation, in every single interaction, whether it was a tax collector or a prostitute or a Samaritan or someone with leprosy. Or so, he tore those down. He began to tore, tear those down in, in, in plain sight of other people. He's given us, in a sense, a new grid. And it's a grid of new creation. And there's only one opinion we are allowed to have of other people. And that's to realize that Jesus considers them valuable enough to die for. Even the ones that make you angry. Guys, I'm going to just tell you this right now. Our world is set up in a way to tell you who should be in your judgmental grid. It is, it is commodified. It is economically driven. It is power driven to tell you who you should have in that grid. Politicians do it. Our media does it. Our podcasts do it. Our yard signs do it. I'm driving to Kansas, billboards do it. You are told and you are convinced, and it's very convincing, who should be in your judgmental grid. And that is not an option for followers of Jesus. It is not an option for us. And think about it. Think about the things that are telling you who you should hate or who you should distrust, or who you shouldn't uh, listen to, there's people telling you that. And some of them are even Christians. And so I want us to check our grids. The second one is this. You feel, I feel overwhelmingly busy. Too busy. Too busy to deal with this right now. Too busy to deal with this person who I've come across at the grocery store. Too busy to stop and hear this person's story. Too busy to spend time with somebody who's disabled and can't leave their home. We're too busy. And the Samaritan wasn't too busy. And so it's just one of those things is like, how do we re-architect our time to create intentional space for other, for a stranger? Uh, I told you I drove to Kansas. I drove to Kansas because um, as a pastor in our family of churches, there are certain obligations that I'm under to attend certain events that I probably wouldn't like to attend. 
So it's kind of like, you know, this summer when you guys are like, yeah, we probably should see family, but we don't really want to. We call those obligations. They're vacations that are obligatory, right? This was one of those for me. I had to go to a conference denominational annual meeting where there was really boring voting and stuff like that. And it was good to be there. There were some things that happened. And so I drove to Kansas, and, um, which is in my judgmental grid, Kansas. And um, sorry if you're from Kansas. I'm, I'm growing. I'm, I'm on a journey. Um, and Friday night, um, me and four other pastor friends decided to ditch out on this last thing because uh, the Nuggets were playing. (laughs) And uh, so we snuck off to a sports bar to watch the Nuggets. And it wasn't much of a sports bar. It was just, it was a a little bar. And um, we show up and grab a beer, sit around a table, make them change the channel to the station we need. And stumbling over to our table is a young man in his 30s who, um, some of you guys are like, that's not young. Um, But he was younger than us, and (laughs) he stumbled over to the table, just he'd been spending some serious time already on Jameson. Jameson's an alcohol. And he was drunk. Friendly drunk. And he stumbles over and he says, I want to hang out with you guys. And he had a bowl of salad, which was weird. <laughs> I don't know, like, where did you get? And he sits down. And, and to be honest with you, first, here's me. Okay, this is my expectations of this evening was the five of us catching up, right? Talking pastor stuff. You know, just and watching the nuggets, and not having to, like, be, like, on. And he stumbles over, and there happened to be six chairs at the table, so. (laughs) He's like, where are you guys from? And we're like, okay, Denver. And then he had opinions, of course. And, um, And then, but we just started having a conversation with him. And, um, I began to feel like, okay, you're preaching on them before us. What are you going to do here? Because here's what I could have done politely. Hey, man, we're trying to have a meeting, and no. (laughs) Um, I'm like, you know what? I got to push. I got to push out. And so, great conversation. First told us his name was Esau, to which one of the pastor guy goes, you got a brother named Jacob? And I was like, really? (laughs) And he started to share and ask questions. And then him and I got in a one-on-one conversation. And I, I heard him share two hurts in his life. By the way, I ordered a small pizza to try to kind of sober him up a little bit because I didn't think the salad was doing it. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like, bro, you need carbs. And uh, he told me two hurts. 
The first one is his mom died a year and a half ago. He's a steel worker. He lives in McPherson. And he works a lot. And his favorite thing is Friday coming to this bar. And the second hurt he told me, he grew up Mennonite. I don't know if you know Mennonite. A real conservative uh, German branch of Christianity. And um, Mennonites settled in the Kansas area. And his family grew up Mennonite. And when he stopped attending church a lot, um, he, when he returned, um, they would have meals together. And there was a table for people who were outside the community. He's like, they made me sit at that table. I never went back. And uh, it was hard to have a conversation because he was drunk. But I haven't stopped thinking about him. And to be honest with you, the conversation was better for me than it was for him. And then the Nuggets won. I just tell that story because um, because I knew I was going to talk about this, I felt like I needed to practice it. And because I practice it, it changed my life. And so I'm encouraging you to practice it. One of my favorite things about going to the movies is the trailers before the movie. And so I'm always really ticked off when I miss them. Because trailers are exciting, right? But what trailers are is really it's just a taste of what the movie's going to be. The church, us, we're supposed to be a taste of the kingdom. That's what we're supposed to be. And I venture to guess that many of you have not tasted that before. that there's a lot of hurt in your life when it comes to church. Much like Clint. He told me his last name first. It was Esau. And then he fessed up. People should be able to look at the church as a community of people who are at least attempting, although stumbling and bumbling, to be people of love. Like, we should look at each other and go, I know you're trying. I'm trying to. Um, one of our early church fathers, a guy named Origen, on his defense of what it looked like to be a Christian to his friend Celsus, he said he pointed to the church as a community of love, and he said to Celsus, come and see a group of people who have rearranged their life around love. And that's what the table is. That's what the communion table is. And I'm just going to move this aside and invite our band up because we're going to come to the table today. And one of the things that means so much around this table is that Jesus invited 
his disciples around the table. And a lot of times people forget that he actually washed their feet first. (laughs) Their dirty, sandal, nasty, traveling feet. He took a basin and a towel and went one by one and washed their feet. Then they had a meal together. And it was the Passover meal. And it was that meal reminding the people of Israel that they were what? Once foreigners, and they were rescued by God. And that God's filiozenia rescued them. And that's what this meal is. And then Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood spilled for you. This is my filiozenia to you. And yes, we come to the table and we're, we come with gratitude and we come with just joy in our hearts and we, we're just overwhelmed by the grace of God for us. But we also come to the table as participants in that filiozenia to others, that hospitality to others. So this morning I'm going to pray. And when you're ready, um, I want you to come to the table. But here's what I want you to come to the table with. I want you to come to the table with names, faces, groups of people in your mind and in your heart that walking in here this morning, you do not like, you would not sit at a table with, that have frustrated you, that have hurt you, that you're afraid of. And I want you to make that a moment of confession before God, the God of hospitality. That the Spirit of God might change your heart, your stiff-necked, like he called the Israelites, stiff-necked. And let this be a place where you can see a God whose character is about love and sacrifice and open arms for you. Let me pray. God, this morning we come to the table. I pray not as just a religious box check, but that we come to the table with a greater degree and depth and gratitude and maybe even deeply moved by your hospitality towards us. And we did not deserve it. That you threw your arms open to us and we were foreigners We were strangers to you, but you pursued us. You intentionally pursued us. You came in the form of a human being as a baby that grew up and as a human being who walked to this earth, who felt pain, who felt hurt, who felt the suffering of being human. 
and yet willingly walked towards an execution to break us out, to break us free. You did that. And this table is a reminder of that. This table is a reminder that you invite us to experience your grace, that your body was broken for us, that your blood was spilled for us, and that we would become like you, that we would break for others that we would spill for others, that our arms would fling open wide for others. Show us how to practice this. Let us come to the table with our hearts confessing the places where we've missed mimicking you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.